Mm-hmm. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. Today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys with me from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and John and Ethan. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, emissions, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a minute. Bruce, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. It's always our pleasure. John and Ethan, welcome back, guys. It looks like we've got the regular crew back. It was a crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, good to be here, Kevin. As always, good to be here, Kevin. All right. So uh, what uh, what do you guys have to report from the Mid-America Truck Show this year? Well, as always, we were very busy, still trying to get my voice back. Um, it was a great show. It's kind of a reunion. I've been saying this for years. It's nice to see so many of the people. We see everyone every year there. And uh, sometimes we see them in the shop. We talk to them on the phone. But it's always nice to see them in person. So it's uh, it's nice to know we there's so many wonderful owner-operators out there in this industry. I agree. It uh, You know, the, the show for me just seems to get busier and busier every year. Every year I say I wish I could just go look at the show, go see things. Um, you know, I was trying, I had, did a lot of seminars this time. I uh, was trying to get around all the different booths and spend time in each booth. And, you know, it, it's to the point that that was 28 years at that show for me. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of seminars. So I got to the point where all of my travel, I tried to travel outside the building, um, and the weather wasn't all that great, because trying to walk through the building, one, it was crowded in the aisles, but two, I it takes me like two hours to move from one booth to another, because I just keep stopping and talking to people. So um, I had a good show. I thought it was a great crowd this year. Uh, John, did you get a chance to go look at stuff, or were you pretty much in the booth the whole time? We we looked at stuff uh, setup day. We walked around at the end of the day. Uh, we we got done pretty early with our setup, and got to have a look around then. And after that, I, I think I left the booth twice. It was uh, Saturday before I ever even took a break for lunch. We hadn't didn't even step out for lunch. And I wandered over to Cummins at one point. There was an engineer that's uh, friendly with one of our uh, Dorothy test trucks that was supposed to be over there that I never got in touch with. And so I walked over there. And back. And on my way back, I, I stuck my head and watched uh, one of your seminars for about 10 minutes. I was a little fly on the wall in the back of the room there. You didn't know, don't know if you saw me or not, but I was walking by and saw you up on a stage. I'm like, well, I'll listen to this for a while. And uh, that was it. That was the only time I left. The, th- those were the two times I left the booth. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> That it's, was it. It's a, Aside from bathroom breaks here and there. Yeah, it's a crazy show. You know, it, it's like I said, 28 years. I've been through many, many up and down cycles. Some years it's a very depressing you know, 08 was pretty depressing at that show. There were a couple other years that stand out. But, boy, 
the excitement and the optimism in trucking you could really feel at the show this year? Absolutely. Definitely had a sense of that. Yeah. and I uh, was thoroughly amazed by that. Uh, but go, oh, go on. Go ahead. So uh, I was amazed by what I really most impressed with was the uh, the whole big pack car thing. That was huge. So that, that was pretty amazing, The uh, what they did there and gave away the millionth Pete. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, that's quite a booth they have over there. That uh, It's like a show in itself. It's so big. Yeah. So, and, and I know most of the time you, uh, you guys st- spend a lot of time there answering questions. People want you to troubleshoot their trucks or, you know, talking about the different products or the things. Anything that, that really stands out that that you guys talk to somebody during the booth or during the show at the booth? Go ahead, Bruce. I'm going to say I, I'm getting a lot of people that want to go 75 miles an hour because of the higher speed limits, and they want fuel mileage. And it's really hard to uh, to explain to them. It's almost impossible to have fuel mileage at 75 miles an hour crossing Wyoming into a headwind. And so we talked about different things, and we talked a lot about gear ratios and but it's just a huge difference between 65 and 75 miles per hour. And so that was one of the things I had a lot of. But uh, You know, Bruce, I've been, I've been seeing that. I, I've been hearing that, too, and I, I think but, you're right. It's, it's partly the, you know, the states keep raising the speed limits, the hours of service. Um, I think is making people feel pressure, so they're trying to make up that time somewhere. Yeah, and, you know, people will ask, well, what can I do to get fuel economy at that speed? Well, nothing changes as far as what you can do. I mean, physics are still physics, so it's still the engine tuned right, good airflow in and out, low rolling resistance, um, low mechanical resistance in the drive lines, flu- all, all the things we've ever talked about. They will still improve fuel economy. But what people absolutely have to realize is you you lose a tremendous amount of fuel economy at those speeds no matter what you do. So, you know, the rule of thumb if we start at 55 is whatever fuel economy you can achieve at 55, for every one mile per hour you go faster, you will lose one-tenth of a mile per gallon. And it's a pretty solid average. If you have a very non-aerodynamic truck, it'll be worse than that. If you have a really aerodynamic truck, it might be not quite that bad. But if we think about that, that means whatever fuel economy you can achieve at 55, you will achieve two full mile per gallon less at 75. And there's nothing we can do to change that. You know, the manifolds and the turbos and the programming and the gearing, it all helps. But it, you won't see the seven and eight miles to the gallon at that speed. And, yes, you're right. It's the uh, 14i rule along with the ELDs that's making everybody drive faster. I've been reading on the Internet they want to 
blame a lot of truck accidents on blowing tires because tires aren't rated for over 75. And they need to look at the root cause of the problem. And the root cause is the 14-hour rule, as I, as I see it, uh, making guys uh, not pay, not allowing people to take naps. And when you're tired, you, you can't take that two- or four-hour nap. Or whenever you hit rush-hour traffic in the city, or when you're waiting six hours to get loaded, you can't log off. That all needs to be changed to get rid of some of these accidents and to get the speed slowed down a little bit. Yeah, you know, they're they're really one of the things I tell people. I you know I talk a lot about rolling resistance, and the tires that have the lowest rolling resistance tend to be more expensive. They're different rubber compounds. They have more research and development put into them. Different tire sidewall designs in order to achieve that. They tend to ninety cost more. seconds. Hold on. Um, the problem is that rolling resistance is a little tricky. You know, we've always done all of our calculations between fifty-five and sixty-five when we talk about um, fuel economy, and the problem comes in with after sixty-five rolling resistance starts mattering less and less when you compare a tire with high rolling resistance and a tire with low rolling resistance at 75 miles an hour the difference gets a lot smaller and what happens at that point is aerodynamics becomes such a huge factor that the rolling resistance difference gets minimized So I've even gone so far to tell people, look, if you know you're going to drive 70 or 75 most of the time, you should focus your, you know, money that you're going to put towards fuel economy on performance items. The, a a really well-tuned engine putting out a little more horsepower and torque can help produce horsepower in a more efficient way which will help fuel economy more at those high speeds and not maybe spend it on the tires. I'd like to say spend it on aerodynamics. There just aren't that many things you can do. You know, if you own the trailer, we have a lot of the smart truck stuff that really helps. Um, There are a few things you can do to the tractor. But at those speeds, if that's the speed that you're going to be running up over 70 most of the time, uh, aerodynamics and performance... You know, engine efficiency become really important. And uh, rolling resistance, not quite so much. Let me get to a break. We're going to come right back and get to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I'm going to get right back to the calls. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power here with me. We're going to head off to Oklahoma. Lyle, welcome to the program. Well, good morning. How are you? Afternoon, actually. Good. What's on your mind today? Good afternoon. I called in uh, two or three weeks ago with uh, Cummins ISX 600 that I've been having trouble getting to start first, and then it started sucking air. Actually, I've had it to Pittsburgh Power back about three or four years ago where we put the polished exhaust and the dampener and the balancer and the power box on it. I unplugged all that with all the problems. I had a Devco. I unplugged that as well, took it out of the system. And first, we replaced fuel lines. Um, it still continued to suck air. And I found a braided line that looks perfect, but he had not replaced that one. He replaced that, and I got rid of half of the air. <laughs> and I continued to have trouble, so we replaced every check valve. This is over a period of last eight months. I've been going in and out of the shop trying to get this thing fixed. And we had the ECM tested. I think Pittsburgh Power tested there. Said there was nothing wrong with ECM. It was replaced at six hundred thousand. There's one point four million on the truck at the moment. The fuel mileage has been obviously all over the place with sucking air. It can't get good fuel mileage like that. So we replaced the check valves. And the last thing I did was uh, I thought, well, we've done nearly everything we can do except replace the IFSM. So we replaced that whole thing, which is the fuel filter block that all the actuators hook to, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it started better, and it ran for about a week, and it started all over again. So at the present, it's actually in the shop again for the same thing. He did find a crack in one of the uh, check valves that goes right up into the head there that had been cracked for a long time. We thought that fixed it. It didn't. <laughs> it did for about four days, and then this has come back again. So I'm about to tear my hair out on what to do with this truck, actually. What, what year is it? It is a September 99 manufactured engine. And what kind of chassis? On a Volvo chassis. Does that have the plastic fuel lines? It has the plastic returns. All the plastic fuel lines, we have all replaced all those. Hmm. Has there been a, uh, Cummins has a procedure they call a bubble test that uh, puts some clear hoses on where the actuator solenoids go. The little adapter that goes on there and you will watch as you crank the engine around for a bubble. Has that been done by any chance? It has, yes. It has, and it passes it? It didn't for a long time until we replaced the braided hose, and then it did. The other thing that you should probably know is that on this particular engine, they have a, I guess it's a left pump that's right behind the fuel filter assembly that has a push-button switch on it. So you can push and turn on and pump. Prime it. Yep. I don't guess it turns on when you turn the key on or something. I don't know. Now, recently, he ran a line directly from, this is like yesterday, ran a line directly from the tank up to where it hooks into the fuel filter, and it still was sucking air, 
until he went up above that and hooked it in and bypassed that lift pump. And when he bypassed that lift pump, so far as we know, it, it ran good. But now whether that, I don't understand what that lift pump is supposed to do if it's not supposed to work while you've got the engine running. Uh, typically, the lift pump will kick on for 60 seconds on key on. I've never seen one with a push button before on an ISX. And it is wired directly to the starter. That That's interesting. Instead of I've never seen one switch. like that. How about if he puts the fast system on and lets it prime the system <laughs> before it goes to start it? Well, that's what he suggested, actually. Will that fix it? It should. Yeah, I don't yeah. see why not. Yeah, even if it's pulling a little bit of air on the back side of the fast, it'll, it'll dump it off. Um, yeah, you know, it might be a Band-Aid, but uh, it should solve the problem. <laughs> what, what about else the pipe in the tank? Well, we, we thought about that, and the other day I ran it down to half a tank and turned as many cores as I could turn, and, and always on when I get down to a low RPM would suck air. But I filled the tank, and that didn't change anything the way it was acting. So we decided it's not that. And maybe it is. I don't know. But with a full, it should it shouldn't do it if that's if it was sucking air as a result of right. your suction tube, right? Right. Right. Unless it was cracked all the way at the top. Have you removed? Have you removed the standpipe and looked at it and looked where the pipe goes into the fitting? We have not done that. I think I'd give that a try. Okay. I mean, it runs really good when it runs. (laughs) This air problem has been hanging on to me for a long time. The other thing we found the last time was a broken pin in one of the actuator plugs. Oh. Plugs in the actuator. Right. So yesterday I told him, I said, check all those plugs and make sure there's not any of those others that have a that are broken or loose pin or something on them. That's not a prime issue then. Have you replaced the injectors ever on this truck? We have replaced one recently but I have not replaced them all. So some of the injectors are original from 99? I can't answer that. I would guess that they are, but I don't know that. I would really, I'd do that bubble test again, especially if they're original injectors. What that test for is for compression leaking through the injector into the fuel rail. So you're actually creating air in the system when the engine's running, basically. Yeah, Cummins call it the compression leak down test. Compression leak down test. Make sure they did exactly that. That test this really, really seems symptomatic of that. Compression leak test? Well, fuel system compression leak down test. Because they do compression leak down test, they'll test the pressure in the cylinders. Uh, but what this does is tests, it looks for compression leaking through the injector and into the fuel system. So it'll actually create air as the engine's running. Got it. We're going to head off to North Carolina this time. Kenneth, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. 
thank you for everything you do for our industry. You're welcome. What can we help I, you with I today? I sent you a couple of. Uh, I sent you an email, a couple of uh, PDFs, and I'm looking to pull a trigger on a 2015 Cascadia Evolution with 453,000 miles on it. It's set up with a DT12 transmission with 253 rears. I'd like to get your opinion on uh, the dyno and the ECM. Uh I don't see... Well, let me check and see if Bridget sent those over to me or not. Um, John, you want to give them your opinion on the truck itself while I'm pulling these up? Um, I like it. Pretty darn good specs for fuel economy. I like it, too, yeah. Yeah, that should work really well. We were talking about mileage and speed earlier. I don't know if anyone... This this is some doesn't quite relate to, well, while Kevin looks for your info, but I didn't get this in when we talked earlier. Uh, that new truck of uh, of uh, Henry Albert has got. Uh, he's been experimenting running seventy plus miles per hour, and he's still almost making ten miles per gallon. So the aerodynamics on that truck are fantastic. Uh, that DT12 transmission works quite well uh, for an automated shift. It always seems to be in the right gear rather than the wrong gear. There's a whole lot that goes into that. The thing actually uses GPS tracking and such. Uh, to know where it is if it's going uphill or downhill, so it's a really really smart piece. And uh, you've got you close to the right gear in there too. I like the 253 gear as well, so that uh, that should be a pretty good truck. What year did they put the uh, uh, GPS on those transmissions? Was that 2015? I'm not sure happened? when that happened. I think it was 15. I think it was the when the DT12 came out had these controls. Uh, the earlier ones that used the Eaton were nowhere near as good as the DT12. So the, the automated 10-speed, I think you'd rather stay away from. But the uh, the DT12 is a whole other story. I looked uh, probably at 50 or uh, well, 67 pages of freight liners in the truck paper. I found this thing across the country, and uh, it, it was perfect setup for what I want. And I'm going to lease it to Landstar. Uh, they're, they're telling me the filters, you just uh, let the truck tell you when it needs to change them out. So when that happens, I, I plan on uh, bringing it over to you guys and let y'all clean the system out. That'd be terrific, yeah. That's the truck, you know. With hey, hold on there, John. We're going to get to a break. John, I sent those documents over to you uh, through a text, so you can take a look at them here while we're at the break. Um, I'll try to look at them. Sometimes when I try to look at documents, I press the wrong buttons. That's never a good thing. But I'll try to get us through the break, and we'll come back and we'll take a look at these. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me, and we are talking with Kenneth in North Carolina. John, did you get those documents? I'm reading them right now, yep. Yeah, good. I figured uh, the, uh, between the two of you over there, you could probably get through those quicker than I could. I'm pretty happy with all of this. It, it appears that they just recently resealed the uh, rear structure, which is an issue with those. That was a nice hunk of labor that's been uh, been taken care of already uh, on this. So that's actually good that that's been done. So that's a that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with that at all. The dyno uh, horsepower looks right, but the torque is way high. So I don't know how they calculated that. But there's no way this truck has 2,700 uh, pound-feet of torque. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's raw torque. Would raw torque be? That's what I was just thinking. Okay, well, what's what's the actual number on that? Four oh five on the horsepower to the wheels. Yeah, that what two fifty three rear end. Yeah. Uh, that's still not right. That only puts it at eleven hundred. Yeah, so they're showing uh, four oh five horsepower at sixteen twenty three, and twenty seven twelve foot pounds of torque at uh, fifteen ninety four. Well, that's high though. That torque. Yeah, at that RPM, that that. Uh, That'd be right. That might be correct. Yeah, yeah. We'd have to pull it down. They listed that truck at five oh five with. They listed that truck at five oh five with sixteen fifty. Yeah. So that's the five oh five oh five horse version. That's a little low then to yes, the, the wheels. But again, I'm not really trusting their numbers. Five oh five should be about uh, thirty. Yeah, four thirty or so. Four thirty five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a touch low, but yeah. I would uh, I wouldn't be afraid of this thing at all after looking at this. Is it a decent deal? Uh sixty two thousand and it's loaded out with a full gauge package. They wanted oh, yeah, uh, nice seventy. Package. They wanted seventy and uh you know, I'll okay. sixty two. Uh, it's a it's a it's a really, really nice, well maintained truck. I wouldn't be afraid of this at all after reading this. And again, once you get it in here, and we could do a, uh, uh, we could do an after treatment maintenance on it to go through and clean up some of the sensors and a few other things, and uh, give it a looking over and pop it onto our dyno, see what it really does. Uh, yeah, four hundred fifty-three thousand. We got to put a damper on it now too. I, I bet no one's done that yet. So that's uh, that's worthwhile. But I would not be afraid of this at all. Look, looks like a great truck. I agree. Specs I, I are great. To meeting you guys. Yeah, specs are great. Reports look great. Uh, yep. Looks like looks like going through sixty five pages, you found a winner. Well, that's uh, I tell you, I'm flying across the country to pick it up. It's a long way from North Carolina. I can tell you that. And, uh, the salesman's been pretty awesome. And, good, uh, good. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting it and getting it over to Landstar. Fantastic. Terrific. Thank you very much, yeah, Kevin. Good. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks Thank you for guys calling. Pittsburgh Power. Yeah, you know, John, you're Bruce, welcome. Um, it, I, I tell so many people this when they're looking for a truck. I teach a whole process on how you find a good used truck. It's got lots of steps. People look at it and go, why would I do all that? I could just go down to the dealer and, you know, they, they shop for a <laughs> truck the way they shop for a car. And I can buy a car at lunchtime and be done with the entire process in less than an hour. And a car, 
here will be the same as a car in New Mexico or anywhere in the country. They're basically the same. Trucks, though, are wildly different. Different specs, different circumstances, different setups, lots of options. And and people will say, but that's a long way away. Yeah, that's why there are airplanes. And the little bit of money you're going to spend to get there and get the right truck that you're going to keep for several hundred thousand miles or more is worth it. It's no different than when I tell them to, you know, get in their truck and point it towards Pittsburgh. It, the little bit of money you're going to spend to get there is well worth the results. Absolutely. And enjoy the ride anyway. I mean, you're in the business, right? That's what you do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Let's uh, let's get to some more phone calls. We've got a bunch. We're off to Kansas. Tom, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, what... What I've got going on is my brother has a 2010 Pete with the Cummins ISX, and it had been hit by lightning. Uh, he's been in and out of the shop, and the shops don't seem to be able to fix it. Um, it will just, the dash lights will go out, and or the engine will just shut off, and it's, uh, it's hit and miss, whatever is going on with it. There's no rhyme or reason. And I remember you guys, I believe, saying something about loaner ECMs because I think his ECM is possibly the culprit. And he lives in the Kansas City area. And I wonder if that shop that Chad works out of would be a place that would do loaner ECMs if you guys think that would be a solution. Well, Ethan, we've got a couple of those ECMs in. Uh, that's a CM871, right? I have one. 2010, okay. Yeah, 2010 BA CM871, I have one of them. So, yeah, it would work out something where we held a credit card number or something and then uh, send it off to you. It would have to get your engine serial number. Uh, Ethan would have to load it up with a correct file for your engine and then send it off to you to try it, If you, especially if you're working out of Chad's. We could we could send it to him, and uh, you guys could put it on there. Yeah, we normally take a deposit, yeah. um, and then we'll return the deposit when the ECM is returned. the The only issue with it being hit by lightning is it has strained most likely every one of the electronic devices on the truck. So you might fix one problem just to find another one pop up oh a little bit later, and this could continue for some time until you find where all the electronic devices that were damaged, because you just sent a massive high voltage through the entire uh, truck's electrical system. Okay. Well, I didn't really want to hear that, but... Uh, <laughs> I've seen cars get struck by lightning, and... Uh, it's, uh, it could be a long... Uh, could, could be a long... It's never easy. Process, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all's input. You're welcome. No problem. Let us know if you need that, but like I said, we need to get some info from you, and uh, go from there. All right, so would, if, if his... Oop, hold on one second, Tom. I was a little quick on the button there. Go ahead. Or call you guys directly. Okay, so, so if we decide to go that route, would we want to call the, the shop in Kansas City or to call you guys to do the UCM part? Uh, probably both. You might want to make an appointment with, uh, with those guys first 
and then uh, give us a call and get us your info so we can uh, get the ECM set up for you. Yeah, I'll need your engine serial number, and then I'll have about, oh, a dozen or two questions for you to get your ECM so that it keeps your truck just about the way it is. Um, but that's what we call question and answer time. And uh, like I said, it'll be about a dozen questions. Okay. So other than the computers, because I expect that the thing's probably loaded with computers, would the lightning stress the wires also and where wire looms would have to be replaced? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. It would all depend on how the lightning traveled through the truck um, to take its path to ground. And to, can't really know exactly how that's going to happen because it changes every time. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I do thank you guys for, for your help. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. We're going to head off to Iowa. Landon, welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, I got a question on my 01 uh, Detroit Series 60. Um, I just had it rebuilt uh, over New Year's. And since then, on a cold start, it seems like it's excessive smoke until it warms up. I was wondering if you could give me an idea. Go ahead, John. You know what that problem is. Since, the, since you rebuilt it, yeah. I just spent some time talking about this at the show and then again on the phone. Uh, it appears that with the low Knox uh, pistons that are coming from Detroit now, if your truck was originally specced with a 15-to-1 piston, uh, that's simply due to the lowered compression ratio with the low knock settings. And really, not a whole lot you could do about it, other than change the pistons to the 16.5-to-1. We've spent a whole lot of money and effort and time, uh, and we've actually rebuilt engines here with the 15-to-1s as they were specced, and had some unhappy customers that we had to take care of because they smoked so damn much. Uh, we've had people actually ask, ask to leave uh, truck stop parking lots because of the amount of smoke that was coming from their engine. And we tried everything under the sun. We tried different cams. We tried different injectors. We tried different tuning. And through everything, and all, all that we could come up with after doing some research was the fact that the 15-to-1 piston does not yield anywhere near 15-to-1 in actuality. So the effective compression ratio of that piston, I believe, was, was in the low 14s. Uh, so that's not enough to fully burn diesel fuel when it's cold out. Uh, hold, so that's, uh, that's hold really that what thought. you're up against. Hold that thought. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around. We've got more stuff right around the corner. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. This is the Power Hour. Um, John, were we? Is there anything else you need to say on that last question? 
No, that was about it. Is he still on? Are we still on with him? Uh, I can bring him back on if we need to. We got a lot of calls, though. Okay, let's move along then. But yeah, hey, it's, Kevin, it's a low compression issue. Yeah, Kevin, yeah. that that goes back to when we talked about the BK versus the MKs, and don't build the MKs, build them into BKs. We wrote about it. We talked about it on the show. And if we don't continue to talk about this stuff, uh, people forget about it. Yeah. So Good. that's that was his, that's what his problem is. He has an MK or even a PK, and he needs to build it back to a BK. Got it. All right. We're off to Pennsylvania this time. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, another Series 60 question for you. Um, my coworker and I, we received uh, brand-new Fitzgerald gliders. Um, his VIN number is one off from mine. And over the past year or so, and my truck now has 114,000. I think his is somewhere around 130. Um, our fuel mileage is significantly different as in one or two miles per gallon, depending on where we're at as well as our power is different. We could be loaded uh, grossing 60,000 or 50,000, and his truck will perform better than mine. I didn't know if you guys would have any ideas as to <clears throat> if there's any subtle differences between the two motors, whether it's a Fitzgerald rebuild or a Detroit rebuild. Um, we both run the Silver Power Service uh, fuel additive our trucks both seem to like that better. And now I get a little bit better fuel mileage. Right now I'm averaging five miles a gallon with uh, 1,100 miles on my tanks. So I don't know if you guys would be able to help me out with that at all. Do you make 30 pounds of boost on a hard pull or 25? 25. And what does the other truck make, 30 or 25? 25. So they're both Fitzgerald rebuild engines, correct? <clears throat> that I that I do not know. Um, I was speaking with a local mechanic the other week, and <clears throat> he actually had said that that was a possibility that mine was a Fitzgerald rebuild, and his is a Detroit, or vice versa. I don't think they're using Detroit. I think they're using, isn't it Clark? That would be the same thing. You know, it's all in the parameters in the ECM. Uh, we need to change. There's a glitch in there that we need to change so that you get your full 30-pound boost. We need to do that to both of those trucks. But let's make both ECMs identical. And if you're yeah. all the same and run the same, then you should get the same fill mileage. Okay, so it all sounds like it's a simple turbo adjustment. No, not a turbo adjustment. ECM adjustment. There's no adjustment on the turbo. Uh, okay, I understand. Okay. So both trucks need, we need to fix the glitch to the, so you get your full 500 horsepower. And then let's compare both ECMs. If you both can come in at the same time, that would be perfect. Okay. I might have to, right. have to run that. Yep. Appreciate your help, guys. And uh, that's definitely a good start for what I have before. <laughs> okay. All right, we are off to North Carolina. Larry, welcome to the program. 
Hello, hello. I uh, I just rebuilt my 1999 Volvo with 12.7 Detroit uh, micro blowing on the guts, and I threw some uh, low profile tires, 22.5 and 24.5, and I'm looking for a direction to go in to optimize the uh, maximum power what performance I can get out of the truck. Uh, let's see, I have a list. I have a fleet air filter. Uh, performance muffler. I'm trying to figure out cost-wise what to do first. I'm still in the break-in oil at this point. And uh, it's driving it like it would normally drive it. Which is usually 60 miles an hour unless I get to a place where it doesn't permit me to do that and I have to go up to 70. How many miles on the break in oil? Oh, uh, let me see here. Here it comes. <laughs> 2000. Roughly 2,600. Good. So it's due for an oil change. So get your oil and filters changed to get the break-in oil out of there. As soon as and, possible? Yep, as soon as possible. Around 2,000 miles is all you want to put on your oil. And you have a turbo boost gauge in the truck? Yes, I do. I also well, have a uh, KR gauge. I'm okay. paying attention because uh, I'm more concerned about driving the truck and listening to all the incidental noises that it may make. Uh, uh, you can still listen and look at the boost gauge or look at the scan gauge. Can you make 30 kind of boost on a pull? I've never had. I haven't had a pull where I had to do that yet. I've been running mostly flat land and uh, light loads. Okay, so before you rebuilt it, were you able to make 30 pounds of boost? I don't think so. All right, and where 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 do you live? In North Carolina. Okay, you and, need to uh, get a load and come to Pittsburgh, and let's get that truck on the dyno and tune that ECM and okay. look at putting our performance manifold on and seeing which turbo you have. And that would be where you want to start. Let's set it up to 500 to the ground, which gives you 588 flywheel. And make sure that everything's okay on all your parameters on the ECM. And get the right manifold on there if you don't have the ported and ceramic coated manifold. And if you still have the waste-gated turbo, we've got to get rid of that. Have oh, you replaced the... Okay, yeah. that's gone. Have you replaced the torsional damper on the front of the crank? I think when they did the rebuild, they did, but they probably used an OEM. You think? It's not on your paperwork? <laughs> I don't have the paperwork in front of me, and the guy's two blocks away from where I'm at now. Okay. I, I was thinking about the... Uh, I have about $8,000 that I, I want to spend incrementally uh, trying to figure out where am I going to get the most bang for my book. <laughs> <laughs> You probably won't have to spend that much, but uh, let's look and see what you have, and then let's program the ECM and 
and get it on the dyno and make sure everything's right for you. What uh, what kind of a window do you need for coming into uh, Pittsburgh? All right, now we're booked about a week and a half. Uh, but for for that, that would be all engineering time mostly. So, Ethan, how far back are you right now? So we're about the same. Yeah, he's he's busy too. Okay. So really, just give you a couple of days ahead heads up. Yeah, weeks. if you could give us a week or a week and a half's notice, that would be the best. And I'm sure you guys carry the air tabs and the oil and fuel bypass as well as the. Uh, we have the, the bypass oil filter. We do not have the air tabs in stock. So, uh, hey, Graham, we're more, we're more than knock it out to where I want to get. Oh, that, that, you have more than enough. Yeah, we're not going to need that much. I like that sound. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've had this truck since 2006, and it blew up on me in 2013, and it's taken me this long to get it back together. And uh, I anticipate after next week being harassed by the DOT telling me, that they know why I bought this truck, even though I bought it before CSA 2010. I'm just in love with the Volvo and with this kind of configuration. It'll be my okay. last truck. You sound right, pretty young uh, to say that. Uh, 60 young? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you sounded to me like you were about 38. <laughs> Well, I get accused of acting like I'm 12, so I, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'll, uh, I guess I get you off the website, right? Your number and everything? Yep. Yeah, it's all right. on there. Looks like we're going to have to wrap this one up. We are all out of time. We're going to do it again real soon. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Power Hour. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. We had Bruce, John, and Ethan doing the heavy lifting. See you next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rutherford. All right, we uh, have some more calls. We're going to go ahead and start a second show. We may not get through all four segments, but we're going to go ahead and answer the questions we do have. So here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. We've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce, John, and Ethan with me. They'll be doing the heavy lifting. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, 
fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, horsepower, torque, emissions, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. Bruce, welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. It's always a pleasure. John and Ethan, great to have you guys back here. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. As always, good to be here, Kevin. All right. Before we get uh, to the calls or see what you guys have, you know, is it uh, my imagination or is troubleshooting kind of becoming a lost art? (laughs) Kevin, it's been a lost art. It is definitely a lost art. Days of the big cams. People used to call us and say, I'm pressurizing the radiator. And we'd tell them how to check that. And they'd say, well, I already pulled the heads off, so I can't start it. I said, well, what are you looking for? If you already pulled the heads off, you have no idea what you're going after. <laughs> so for 41 years, we've had a lot of pride in how we uh, diagnose problems. And we try to diagnose all problems before we tear the engine apart looking for them. You know, I talk to people all the time, and obviously it's been a long time since I've really had my hands in a truck and an engine and turning wrenches, but I've been around, you know, mechanical things all my life or now electronic things and the radio software and everything else we do. And I just, you know, I get excited about troubleshooting. You know, when you take that logical approach and you start laying things out and you eliminate things, and yet I see people just, I I had an experience, that's why I brought this up. Um, When I left the truck show on Saturday, I wanted, my goal was to get out to the mountain time zone before I had to start doing my, you know, midnight shows again on Monday night. So I drove pretty hard to get out to Colorado Springs to where I'm at now. I'm going to head to Albuquerque when we get done here today. But I pulled in to uh, KOA here in Colorado Springs that I spent almost an entire summer at about six or seven years ago. I loved the place. But I got here late at night. I was tired when I got here. All I wanted to do was get set up, grab a nap because I had to do the show. So I plug in. And I go in and I, you know, start checking all the power and making sure everything's right. And I realize I have two legs on the household, the AC, power in this coach. And I realized only one leg had powered up, which doesn't work because then the chargers won't work and, you know, half the stuff in the coach isn't working. And I thought, sheesh, I wonder what that is. So there's three different ways to power the AC in here. I can run it off the inverters, I can run it off the generator, or I can run it off a shore power. So I thought, to troubleshoot, let me see what happens when I go to the inverter. So I went to the inverter, both legs are powered up. Go to the generator, both legs are powered up. Go back to the shore power, only one leg's powered up. So I thought, I either have a really funky transfer switch thing happening somewhere, or maybe there's something wrong with their pole. So I didn't want to screw with it at night. I thought, I don't need it tonight. I'm going to bed. So I got up in the morning, went out and started troubleshooting the pole and figured out that's where it was. So I backed up to a spot right behind me, plugged in. I was fine. Went up, told the park. By the time I got back to my coach, they already had somebody working on the pole in the spot I was in. And I thought, you know, I'm really busy today, but I could probably save him a little time if I go explain what I've already figured out. So I walked over and I said, good morning. He immediately looks at me and says, just so you know, you're the only person out of 50 that had a problem with this pole. And I thought, wow, 
This guy's having a bad day already. <laughs> so I, I said, oh, oh, like, you mean because it worked yesterday, it must work today, right? And he said, what? And I said, never mind. I said, just so you know, that's the first poll out of 200 that my coach has ever had a problem with. So I, I said, let me tell you what I've already figured out. He said, he said, I've, he says, I've got it figured out. He said, there must be something wrong with your coach. He said, look, he sticks his multimeter in the 50-amp plug, and he says, 122 volts, just like it should be. I said, uh, okay, what else did you do? And he said, what else do I need to do? It works. And I said, really? I said, see that 30-amp plug right next to it? Stick your voltmeter in there and tell me how many volts are coming out. And he says, 122. I said, see that tiny little 15-amp plug? one that looks like a household plug right next to it, stick your voltmeter in there and tell me how many volts are coming out. He says 122. And I said, so I guess I could hook up to that 15-amp plug and power everything in my coach, right? And he said, well, of course not. And I said, what good does you telling me it's 122 volts do then? So he, he proceeded to tell me there was nothing wrong with the pole, but an hour later they were digging it out of the ground. <laughs> hey, hey Kevin, you had made the statement that it's been a long time since you've had your hands inside a truck and in an engine. We could change that for you. <laughs> Just uh, turn that coaster on and head it east and go in our parking lot and we can put you to work in the shop and look at what you would gain, what you the knowledge you'd have in a pump that you could I- talk about on the radio show. I would have fun too. I, I have I have been working a lot on the coach this trip, so I, I've gotten greasy and my knuckles are all banged up, and I've been working on the coach. But you know, it's not something I do every day. And when you do every day, you, you, there's there is knowledge there to be gained. But troubleshooting itself, you, I, I, I'm usually able to troubleshoot a truck better than most technicians that do work on them every day and have that knowledge. Because they just don't seem to understand the proper way to troubleshoot things. It, it is definitely a lost art. It's something that I've always had to uh, work pretty hard at, uh, largely because I was couldn't afford to throw parts at anything ever. So I really had to uh, find the find the for sure problem. <laughs> but. Uh, a lot of mechanics nowadays just want to throw parts on stuff, and they're almost too reliant on the computer. I mean, you need the computer. It's a great tool. But, uh, you know, I had a fellow call this morning and had a uh, uh, back pressure uh, check engine light coming. He goes, well, you know, where's that sensor? I'm going to change the sensor. I'm like, well, what if the back pressure is actually high? It <laughs> right. might might actually be working. <laughs> right. So <laughs> you need to, need to check it somehow. You need to test it. You know, don't just throw a sensor at it, and it's just uh, it's interesting. It's a whole different mindset than uh, than we grew up with. You know, moving injectors around and things like that to make sure that it actually is the injector that's bad when you have a dead cylinder, and that there there's and there's work involved in that. It's not uh, it's not easy. Kevin, a lot of times when a person comes in and they want to buy a part, we ask them why, and they'll tell us what their truck's doing, and then we'll say, why do you want that part? Well, isn't that what's causing that? And usually the answer is no. It happened many times on the big cams. A guy's engine would be smoking. He'd come in and want to buy a fuel pump. 
And they ask them why. Well, I'm smoking. Are you smoking all the time? All the time. At an idle with a hot engine? And our answer was, did you ever think of setting the valves and the injectors first? Yeah. Because the fuel pump just supplies pressure. The injectors have to do the atomization. So it's much easier to change the fuel pump. Look how many people change a turbo today because something else is shown bad. Instead of smoke testing and pressurizing the entire intake system, not just the charger cooler. Turbochargers get blamed for a lot of problems. If you drive through a heavy rainstorm and you get your air filter wet, it will suck oil out of the compressor side of the turbo. People call up, I'm throwing oil out of the turbo. Which side? Compressor side. And I'll say, did you drive through a heavy rainstorm in this past week? Yes, I did. Change your air filter. Drive the truck for 100 miles and tell me if there's oil still coming up. And a lot of times they'll call back. They'll say it's cleared up. That's because the air filter was wet. That happens with a paper air filter. It doesn't happen with the fleet air. So we've been doing this for years. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think, John, what you said, and Bruce, you've taught me lots of those, you know, really cool little troubleshooting you know, techniques over the years that have helped. It, it, and once you've got that mindset of, you know, you're going to find the problem without just throwing parts at it. But, John, I, I started racing motorcycles when I was really young. And, and what you said, I didn't have the money to just go buy parts. You know, and in fact, anything you could do to get it working again without spending money. And then I think spending a couple of years uh, in aviation where you don't throw parts at anything. You know, you diagnose every problem before it ever goes back up. You just don't throw in a sensor and say, let's take it for a ride and see if that works. Um, I think that's why I've just always really focused on <laughs> troubleshooting so much more. Let me uh, let me get to a break. We will come right back. We're going to get to your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Bruce and John and Ethan are here with me. You know, the the thing is, we're, you know, fixing and troubleshooting helicopters, it was almost always the sensor. When something did go off, a warning light, and you had to shut down immediately and land wherever you could, it was almost always a sensor. Very seldom did things actually break. But you were never allowed to just put a sensor in and see what happened. You had to go back and test whatever system, you know, was showing a problem and test it multiple times to verify that there really wasn't a problem. Then you could change the sensor and test everything again. Uh, 
Absolutely. That's the way it needs to be. We were, um, the race team I work for, we, uh, we uh, there was a new car introduced to the series last year. So there were some, some gremlins and bugs and things. And early on one of our first outings, we had a huge problem. The car was just shut off and we, uh, changed the whole wiring harness. It was a very late night and went through the car front to rear and put it all together and still had the same problem. It was uh, was not getting a signal from the throttle switch or from the throttle position sensor, exactly like a truck. I mean, the systems are identical. It's fly-by-wire, uses a throttle sensor just like a big truck. As it turned out, we had a, we run a pressure sensor on the cooling system so that uh, the dash can alarm you if you have a hole in a radiator or something or for some reason the uh, the pressure drops in the cooling system rapidly, and which is probably a good thing to have on a lot of stuff. I don't know why cars don't run those, but we, we sense the pressure in the cooling system. It's not necessary, but it's just an advisory you know thing for the driver. If he holds a radiator or something, it uh, he knows to shut the engine down. So uh, after completely changing the throttle position sensor and the whole chassis loom, which is not an easy thing to change, the thing still doesn't work. And I went back to something I saw Ethan doing here and just starting unplugging sensors that are completely unrelated to the one that wasn't working. So as it turns out, there are about three sensors that are on a chain uh, of supply voltage, and our coolant sensor happened to be shorted out dead and yanked all the voltage away from the throttle position sensor, which is where we thought the problem was. So uh, the one sensor that it actually was this time, but we uh, worked till 2 a.m. We had the engineers from uh, Italy and engineers from England on the job, and... I walked up and said, well, why don't we do this? Let's start unplugging things. And, and, and the British guy got out the wiring heart and said, okay, these three are on the same chain as the throttle position. I'm like, well, start unplugging stuff. And lo and behold, we unplugged the uh, the coolant temp sensor, and everything worked fine. And I think it's still unplugged, actually. I don't think we run it on that car. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's that's the process, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. All right, but, let's... Uh, uh, Let's get back to some it's phone an calls. audibility that I have. I, I walk up to problems like that and say, well, what about this? And they've been working on it for hours, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, that was it. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I like that, yeah. though. Let's head off to Washington. Jacob, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I bought a... Uh, uh, Freightliner Columbia 2002 with a Series 60 and a 13 speed back in January. And I just had a couple questions about it. This is the first Series 60 I've ever had. Um, my oil pressure while I'm driving down the road is about 50 PSI. And that's like way higher than the ISXs that I used to drive. Is that accurate being that high? Yeah, that's that's on the high end. That's about as high as you'll, you'll see it on the... Detroit, but yeah, that, okay. that's right. Yeah, the, IS, the ISX uses a different system than the Detroit okay. do. And then when it's idling, it's down to like 25 psi. Should there be that yeah, much that's of absolutely a? Absolutely fine. Yep, that's oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. That makes me happy. Um, and then a yeah, question about my transmission. Okay, perfect. And then a question about my transmission. It's a 13 speed. Um, I looked up the the part numbers on the Eaton website. And the part numbers come up as a nine-speed with a direct uh, as a direct drive. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. but does that mean that somebody has put the the adapter in there to make it a 13-speed? And if so, would that make it uh, uh, running direct in 12th or in 11th? Uh, well, hold on a second. Right, what are you, what's the gear ratio in this truck? Okay. 
Um, my my uh, rear end is two ninety threes. Is this possibly? Do you have you looked at the history? Did this come from Swift? It did. Okay, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, um, Swift might be the <laughs> Swift, Swift might be the only people on the planet that spec direct drive nine speeds with two ninety three gears, but they did this. Um, there, Swift has gone through history and periods in, in different parts of the country with fleets where they spec trucks at 57 miles an hour. The first truck I ever bought that, mm-hmm. that taught me about fuel economy came off of Swift's fleet, and it was um, it was set at 57 miles an hour. That was max, but it got killer fuel economy. This truck will get really good fuel economy at 60 or less. You start driving any faster than that, and you're going to watch it drop off pretty quick with those gears. So this is a really good combination if you're willing yeah, to drive I've slow. Yeah, noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you're willing to drive slow, it's a great setup. I've been... Go ahead. Yeah, I've been I've been setting it at, at 57 to see what kind of fuel economy I've been getting. And I'm only getting five and a half, but I pull a three-axle curtain van in Oregon and Washington. Uh, yeah, I'm I mean, usually sitting about 88,000 pounds. I, I would still expect better than that, so there's probably some troubleshooting we want to do with this thing. Um, if you put it in 13th and you go 60, where's the tack? Um, it is right about uh, 60. It's about 1250, 1300. So that does... I've been driving it in 12th at 57, and it's sitting right at 14.50. So that sounds like your direct gear, 12th does. This might be a weird conversion, but I think 12th okay. is now your direct gear. Okay. All right, so that's where I've been running it, so I should be getting... Better than five and a half, you think? Yeah, even with that setup, I realize oh, yeah. you've, you've got some challenges there, but I would expect you at least at six and a half and seven or seven and a half with some tweaking and modifications wouldn't be out of the question. Okay. Um, so I haven't, I just sent off my first oil sample. I haven't got it back yet. Um, the truck only has 670,000 original miles on it. So, wow, sounds it was, it was like a nice low mile truck. Whenever I bought it, yeah, sounds like you've got a, a um, nice little gem there. There, one of the first things I would do, especially in your operation, is I would put the Pittsburgh Power Tune mm-hmm. in there. That's that, that was actually one of the first things I wanted to do to it. I just put yeah. an OPS on it because it changed the oil this weekend, and then my next step was going to be the Pittsburgh Power Tune. I found a guy here in Oregon that does the remote tuning mm-hmm. so yeah the bill um how much did you find what was that are you going to see bill bill harlow i can't um, humbug i don't he called think his company no it was a, a guy down the, um out of uh i think shamalt or chiloquin oh i forget who He's that a, is who was oh. that yep yeah now i know we've got a guy there too yep so okay. perfect yeah, how much? Uh, he said I needed to talk to you guys actually to find out how much that runs for the Series sixty. Do I need to call your office or as far as the price uh, for the it? Custom, 
the, the custom tune on that one is, is what I'm going to recommend the, because I don't know. Do you know what the factory, the horsepower set at currently? Uh, the tag on the engine says 430. Okay, so it's either, it could be, you know, unless you look in the ECM, someone could have bumped it to a factory 500. But my, my favorite one is the custom tune, which does about, I always like to start guys off with a 12.7, about 500 to five and a quarter at the rear wheels. Uh, it seems to be right where these these engines get their best fuel efficiency. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, that sounds awesome. But as soon as I get my first uh, first paycheck here, I'll be doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's where you're. That's where you're going to see your biggest well, improvement, you. especially with uh, the fact that that you're requiring a lot of performance the three axle the curtain side it kills aerodynamics and rolling resistance on the trailer you're out in a part of the country where you're doing a lot of climbing that performance tune is going to make that may get you a full mile per gallon in your operation as long as you know we see that oil sample we'll be able to tell a few things um get the charger cooler tested get the overhead set on it and i think we'll get you up into six and a half pretty quick couple other tweaks we could probably get you to seven i'm looking at the clock looks like i'm gonna have to take us into a break so i will do that and we will come right back and get to more of your calls and questions right after this the website is letstruck.com if you don't have the app yet to listen to our show you should get it it's free it's easy does one thing and it does it really well you download the app blog talk radio goodbye you open it up and you you can listen to the shows that's all there is to it i've got to get to a break we'll see you right around the corner i'm kevin rutherford 